Again, I thank you for this opportunity. And based on all the excellent feedback and questions I've received to this point, this is now part 10 of this multi-part series. As I prepared this PowerPoint called President John F. Kennedy Assassination Attempt, November 22nd, 1963, to assist with our further deep dive, including applicable visual photo video clips to accompany my remarks even deeper than my previous remarks. And again, I want to hear your, your audience's questions, comments, and particularly your aha moments, okay? And again, it's because of your input, I now provide this additional part 10 to this PowerPoint to continue our journey. Ready to continue? And again, my conjecture is and remains, JFK was not assassinated on November 22nd, 1963. What was proven on November 22nd, 1963, at that time, was the legal definition of conspiracy, the attempt to assassinate the President of the United States of America. In my previous remarks, including parts four and eight of this multi-part series, my remarks regarding Adolf Hitler and Hitler apparently not dying April 30th, 1945, as reported falsely to the entire world, with more and more evidence trickling out to this day to this regard, this, adding the very pertinent and very relevant additional context to what all this was, is really about. which now seems to be apparently supported by recent declassified U.S. government files and documented in such documentaries as this History Channel's Hunting Hitler 26-episode series from 2015 to 2018 and Hunting Hitler, the final chapter, 2022, it's a two-hour special document, these documentaries. This History Channel Hunting Hitler series, applicable investigation, including such as U.S. Army Special Forces, Tim Kennedy. And with that, and for those that are unaware, which I myself only recently became aware during the time frame of writing my own book, I highly recommend watching the entire 27 episodes. Hitler surviving World War II and being relocated where? To South America, with others saying to the United States of America, California to be more exact, and all with the complicity of the U.S. government, to include the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover even, the CIA, the Dulles Brothers even, and the U.S. military, the U.S. Navy even, given Hitler didn't walk over land to get to any of these supposed locations. So one has to ask, who benefited, would benefit from Hitler's survival? So who authorized, ordered even, Hitler's survival relocation? British Prime Minister Winston Churchill? Could it have been German background U.S. Army, first NATO Supreme Commander General Dwight D. Eisenhower himself? German-born FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover? Certainly puts a whole different lens on things, doesn't it? Including General Patton's suspicious death. So again, if you haven't watched this History Channel Hunting Hitler series, I would recommend it. Interesting, isn't it? Given President Eisenhower's supposed 
top secret agreement with the CIA in what, the 1950s. Then with subsequent reports that Hitler then supposedly did die in February of 1962. Wow. So wonder who authorized was involved with that death of Hitler, that hit even, right? Wait, and when was the Cuban Missile Crisis? Wow, wait a minute. Let's back up. When, how do you think JFK, the President of the United States, John F. Kennedy, became aware of Hitler's survival, relocation, for the first time? I have my opinion. What is yours? When and how do you think President of the United States of America, John F. Kennedy, first became aware of Hitler's survival and relocation? This now brings me to this. In my previous remarks, including part eight of this multi-part series, my remarks regarding the George H.W. Bush Wednesday, December 5th, 2018 funeral envelopes. In my remarks, I raised so many questions, as did many of you, to include why did only the wives get the envelopes at the funeral? But wait, Let's take this to an even higher level of questioning. Why in the world were the George H.W. Bush funeral envelopes even handed out to begin with? Who prepared them? George H.W. Bush himself? Or given his own, his own son's reactions and involvement, did George W. Bush himself prepare them? So why? Why were these George H.W. Bush funeral envelopes even prepared to begin with? Who ordered, authorized all of this? Who by name, including under oath, George W. Bush was all involved in and why? What is George W. Bush's understanding for these such George H.W. Bush funeral envelopes and all these, those specifically involved under oath each of their applicable understandings of why. And do all of these explanations match? All for the same reason, the same purpose? And if given out and handed out, the reasons are different and purposes are different, why? Are you starting to see where I'm going with all this? And for such open public display, documented recordings of capturing reactions of those that received the applicable George H.W. Bush funeral envelopes. Not orchestrated at all, right? Not for a reason, not for a specific purpose, and all just simply coincidental. You know, just like the Abraham Zapruder film, right? All that just simply coincidental, not for any pre-orchestrated reason, specific purpose, other than just simply having his camera and then unexpectedly capturing the events of November 22nd, 1963. And then what? Not shared with the public until years later, including to first Dan Rather privately, and then to um, Gerardo Rivera, who shared it openly and publicly for the whole world to see. Dan Rather stating it's not the same film he saw and no, recon no reconciliation of that fact. 
So again, what is George W. Bush's understanding of what and why the applicable reason explanation for his father's, his own father's, George H.W. Bush's funeral envelopes to that of all the others involved in the know, under oath, and in the public, open reconciliation of the explanations, reasons provided. Why? Why were these handed out? Speaking of George W. Bush, this now brings me to this. Another documentary that I, I recently became aware of and provided extensive previous remarks. It's the August 2019 History Channel 9-11 Inside Air Force One documentary. And based on its timing, released just less than a year after the George H.W. Bush Wednesday December 5th, 2018 funeral envelopes and all the applicable YouTube videos thereafter. This August 2019 two-hour documentary, feature documentary, tells the story of 9-11 from a unique vantage point. Inside Air Force One, on its nine-hour journey from Florida across the country, and finally home to Washington, D.C. Featuring interviews with President George W. Bush, Vice President Dick Cheney, Chief of Staff Andrew Card, the pilot of Air Force One, Secret Service agents, as well as intelligence and military aides on board. Again, with statements, comments, testimonial statements personally made by President George W. Bush himself, Vice President Dick Cheney, Chief of Staff Andrew Card, and so many others. Oh, and given all my previous remarks, be sure to watch to the very end, the ending to include the, quote, miscommunication noted at and not until the very end. So again, just like the George H.W. Bush Wednesday, December 5th, 2018 funeral envelopes, what is George W. Bush's understanding, real understanding of the events of what happened to him on September 11, 2001, and all those specifically involved under oath, each of their applicable understandings of why? And do all these explanations match? All for the same reason, same purpose. If differences of reasons and purposes, why? Are you starting to see where I'm going with all this? Because my watching this August 2019 documentary, I got the distinct impression that the President of the United States of America, President George W. Bush, on that day, on September 11, 2001, he knew something, as did all those that appear on that documentary. But are, are they all on the same sheet of music, so to speak? Because from my perspective, to me, it appears that there is a real, a very real possibility that the President of the United States of America, President George W. Bush, on that day, on September 11, 2001, at some point in all of this, was actually taken hostage, taken into custody. By whom? Or rather, by whom's? As it is quite apparent 
<coughs> as you watch and hear from these involved, from those involved, and as documented by their own testimonial statements and actions, what do you think? <coughs> Again, if you're not aware of or haven't yet watched this August 2019 History Channel 9-11 Inside Air Force One documentary, I highly recommend you do so. And to the very end, to see the miscommunication statement revealed only at the very end. <clears throat> on February 1, 2019, I set out on a journey to write my book. And on June 11, 2020, I submitted the full unedited, unpublished manuscript of over 700 pages with the Library of Congress, the Registration Office. Its title at that time, <clears throat> Always Tell the Truth Until They Don't Like What You Have to Say, testimonial to a memoir of and by a U.S. Department of State, Foreign Service, Federal, Crime Victims' Rights Act, Protected, Middle Class, Nobody. The very next day, June 12, 2020, I submitted my signed contract intent with my publisher. And now, finally, after over two years of delay, it's publication. Shorter in length and modification in title, supposedly finally in sight, a January 2023 publication date. But yet, regardless, the re realization remained the same. My journey was not yet over. So many questions remain unanswered. And as a firsthand witness, of which I and only I am uniquely qualified and uniquely pos possess insight and perspective that can lead to the right answers by asking the right questions, pointing in the right direction, and from a federal auditor perspective, pulling the right strings. Because when you pull the right string, the entire sweater unfurls. Or in this case, all the dots connect, the entire truth is revealed. And with that, instead, the realization that my journey was not yet over. As a crucial piece to a bigger puzzle, I was forced to peel back layer after layer after layer like an onion, continue picking up breadcrumbs along the way, connecting more dots as, as these were are revealed to me as my journey continued. My hope is you continue along with me in this journey, this apparent yellow brick road of sorts journey of countless rabbit holes, fitting more and more pieces of the puzzle together to see what all hides behind the curtain, exposing more light along the way, and to finally discover what all this is really about. Where our journey leads may surprise us all. So now I want to share some clips. Very applicable and very relevant clips. Particularly given my previous remarks regarding the specific, the specific applicable individuals involved their applicable backgrounds and questions, so many questions that remain. And these clips are from All the President's Men, the 1976 movie directed by Alan J. Pakula with a screenplay by William Goldman based on the 1974 nonfiction book of the same name by Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward. And this pertains to the clips I'm going to be sharing, anonymous source known as Deep Throat. We're going to start first at 
806 to 1217. Patient with me as I get to it. and another man, James W. McCord. I told you inside, I have nothing more to say. I understand that. What I don't understand is how you got here. Well, I assure you, there's nothing very mysterious involved. Well, a little while ago, I was talking to a couple of the lawyers assigned to represent the burglars. No? They never would have been assigned to represent the burglars had anyone known that the burglars had arranged for their own counsel. Burglars couldn't have arranged for their own counsel since they never even made a phone call. So if no one asked you to be here, why are you here? I don't want you to take this personally, Mr. Woodward. Woodward? I didn't be a mistake to do that. I just don't have anything to say. Your Honor, Mr. Beckham, the young man with no prior record, I suggest that they release on personal property. Do one of the other men involved in the break-in call you? What reason do you have to assume that there were other people involved well, in the break-in? One of your clients was arrested with a walkie-talkie. Uh, they're not my clients. No, I don't want to talk about this anymore. You're a lawyer, and you're here. <laughs> uh, one of the defendants, Mr. Barker, and I met at a social occasion once. Where? I have nothing else to say. A Miami social occasion? Mr. Starkey says the Cubans were from Miami. Now next, I'm going to play 
from 3117 to 41 minutes. Again, 31 minutes, 17 seconds to 41 minutes. I'll go and play it start now since I. He might confirm.
distractions of television cameras, which were later withdrawn. On Wall Street, prices took a pounding yesterday. The Dow Jones closing down six and three. Wait a minute. Notice the envelope dropping from the newspaper? What does that remind you of? Just like the George H.W. Bush December 5th, 2008 funeral envelopes dropping out of the applicable programs, right? Let's continue on. Thought I'd help. I'll never quote you. I wouldn't quote you even as an anonymous source. You'd be on deep background. You can trust me, you know that. Can you tell me what you know? You tell me what you know. Liddy put his hand over a candle. 
chanted right in the flame until its flesh was burned. Somebody said, what's the trick? And the lady said, the trick is not minding. The story is dry. All we've got are pieces. We can't seem to figure out what the puzzle is supposed to look like. John Mitchell resigns as the head of Greek and says that he wants to spend more time with his family. It's like bullshit. We don't exactly believe that. Oh, but it's touching. Forget the myths that the media has created about the White House. The truth is, these are not very bright guys, and things got out of hand. Hunt's come in from the cold. Supposedly, he's got a lawyer with $25,000 in a brown paper bag. He followed the money. I mean, where? Oh, I can't tell you that. But you could tell me. I have to do this my way. You tell me what you know, and I'll confirm. I'll keep you in the right direction if I can, but that's all. Just follow the money. So now we're going to play this at one hour, 34 minutes, and seven seconds to one hour, 35 minutes. And 36 seconds. Again, one hour, 34 minutes and seven seconds to one hour, 35 minutes and 36 seconds. Almost there. As soon as you're done, we're going to do a story on all of you. Sir, there's just a couple of questions. I'll call my law office in the morning. Question you properly identified yourself. Said it right at the top. Mitchell, no, he was talking to a reporter. Yeah, but I think I woke him up. And good notes? Verbatim. He really said that about Mrs. Grant. Well, I'll cut the words to her tit and print it. Well, it was a family newspaper. You know, once when I was reporting, Lyndon Johnson's top guy gave me the word. They were looking for a successor for J. Edgar Hoover. I wrote it, and the day it appeared, Johnson held a press conference and appointed Hoover head of the FBI for life. When he was done, he turned to his top guy, and the president said, call Ben Bradley and tell him, fuck you. <laughs> well, everybody said, you did it, Ben. You screwed up. You stuck us with Hoover forever. I screwed up. I wasn't wrong. How much can you tell me about Deep Throat? How much do you need to know? You trust him? Yeah. I can't do the reporting for my reporters, which means I have to trust them. And I hate trusting anybody. Now at 143, 45 to 148, 48. I'm going to back this up a little bit. What's the topic for tonight? Rat fucking. In my 
my day it was simply known as the Double Cross. In our present context, it means infiltration of the Democrats. Segretti won't go on the record. But if he would, we know he would implicate Chapman. That could put you inside the White House. Specific. How high up? You'll have to find that out for yourself. I don't like newspapers. I don't care for inexactitude and shallowness. The creep slush fund that financed the rat money. We just about got that nailed down. I don't know how to change camps. And now, two hours, six minutes and 40 seconds to two hours, nine minutes, 20 seconds.
Oh, sorry, you got to back that up a little bit. Again, two hours, six minutes and 40 seconds to two hours, nine minutes, 20 seconds. And I'll go ahead and turn it on from here. slip away yes you've done worse than that hold and slip away get people feeling sorry for him i didn't think that was possible in a conspiracy like this you build from the outer edges and you go step by step if you shoot too high and miss everybody feels more secure you put the investigation back months yes, we know that and if we're wrong we're resigning were we wrong Listen, I'm tired of your chicken shit games. I don't want hints. I need to know what you know. It was a Halderman operation. The whole business was run by Haldeman, the money, everything. It won't be easy getting at him. He was insulated. You'll have to find out how. Mitchell started doing covert stuff before anyone else. The list is longer than anyone can imagine. It involves the entire U.S. intelligence community. FBI. CIA justice is incredible. Cover-up had little to do with Watergate. It was mainly to protect the covert operations. It leads everywhere. Get out your notebook. And again, given my conjecture as to who Deep Throat really is, was, and what deep throat really refers, really referred to, and even apparent at that time, wasn't it? So why didn't U.S. Navy Office of Naval Intelligence background Ben Bradley and Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, given my understanding that Bernstein never ever personally met with anonymous source Deep Throat, only U.S. Navy background Bob Woodward did, why didn't they, Woodward and Bernstein, continue on to follow the money, but stopped instead once Nixon resigned? So why didn't Woodward and Bernstein continue to follow the money at that time to this day?
which as a result has resulted in this very pertinent, very relevant portion of the introduction to my soon to be after over two years of purposeful, purposeful and intentional delay in publication of my book, quote, in the 1976 movie, All the President's Men, anonymous source known as Deep Throat stated that, quote, the cover-up had little to do with Watergate. It was mainly to protect the covert operations, end quote. Sidebar note, D.B. Cooper. Now, not being a member of the intelligence community, law enforcement, nor military, I am not and was not privy to nor involved in any covert operations. This crucial insight was also provided by Deep Throat, quote, to follow the money. And that is where I fit in. Though I did not ask for any of this, I found myself to be a tiny hub on a deep state wheel with the spokes, the U.S. Department of State, Central Intelligence Agency, Department of Justice, Federal Bureau of Investigations, and the military all connecting to me. Why me? Due to information and insight I acquired through the years of just doing my job as a federal auditor and then as a Foreign Service Financial Management Specialist, anyone in law enforcement, particularly the FBI, knows that information obtained during an audit, particularly a federal audit, is a protected activity. But yet I was not protected. Why? Because the deep state will stop at nothing to hide the corruption and crimes committed, particularly when it's regarding the funding linkages to covert operations and despite the broader implications to our U.S. Constitution. My story has serious political overtones, but it's not a political story. It is my story. It is the story of what can happen when you innocently seek one truth, but discover quite another. And look at all that has indeed been innocently discovered along the way. With this, more and more of the pieces of the puzzle are revealed and because all the dots are connected, which then brings me back to my conjecture that JFK was not assassinated on November 22nd, 1963. With that, again, I wanna show a clip from the video that I showed previously. JFK, the mob, CIA, and the eight paid assassins YouTube video. Publication date, May 11, 2017. Its entirety is one hour, 25 minutes and 36 seconds. That I first became aware of on Thursday. September 30th, 2021, published by British producer Francis R. Connolly. I will play 4458. To make, to make a Dallas police officer look like the president of the United States. Witnesses there at the time said Bobby scoffed and said, it doesn't make anything like him. While Mrs. Kennedy became adamant, it isn't Jack, she declared. That looks like something you'd find in Madame Tussauds' wax museum. So look at that. Seems JFK's own wife, Jackie, and his own brother, RFK, Robert F. Kennedy, were not convinced either. So now the question being, if they weren't convinced, why are you? 
As I remarked previously, when I was on my first excursion tour with the Foreign Service from the United States Department of State's Office of Inspector General as Regional Financial Management Officer at Embassy Yaoundé, Cameroon, from 1993 to 1995, I met Ruth Ruth Singer, the spouse of my Embassy Yaoundé U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID colleague, Derek Singer. Ruth being the sister of JFK's speechwriter and one of JFK's closest advisors, Theodore Ted Sorensen. Years later, after attending Renaissance Weekend in Charleston, South Carolina over the 2006-2007 Christmas holiday, I personally met Ted Sorensen. Just about two years after that, in the 2008-2009 timeframe, while I was attending the U.S. Army War College resident class in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, I initiated Ted Sorensen to come and speak to my U.S. Army War College class. Because of my acquaintance, I read numerous, numerous of Ted's books. In particular, I read this one. In particular, and based on my previous remarks, his book, Kennedy, published in 1965. The first time I read it a while back, it was for leisure. And of recent, a few times now, for additional insight and research. Throughout the book, this particular 1965 Ted Sorensen book contained what I considered aspects of particular interest some real significance, particularly pages 629 to 633. And then one day I read and reread pages 629 to 633. Oh my goodness, there it is in plain sight, black and white print. So with that, based on what I consider very pertinent and very relevant insight, my discovery an apparent direct message, coding of sorts, clue in plain sight, but also located at the Arlington National Cemetery and contained on pages 629 to 633 of Ted Sorensen's 1965 book, Kennedy. So again, for those that have not read Ted Sorensen's 1965 book, Kennedy, I highly recommend you do so, particularly pages 629 to 633. Because based on this passage from Ted Sorensen's JFK speechwriter and one of JFK's closest trusted advisors, apparently buried alongside and along with, as my conjecture is and remains, at JFK's gravesite at Arlington National Cemetery is not only Dallas police officer J.D. Tippett, the real and only murdered body of November 22nd, 1963, along with JFK's real intact brain proving he was not assassinated, along with the applicable supporting documentation, names even perhaps, of JFK's very small, limited, in-the-know group of U.S. Army Special Forces operators directly sanctioned and authorized by and directly involved with this applicable JFK's, our President of the United States of America's 
the commander in chief's own black operation for his own survival from the November 22nd, 1963 assassination attempt on his very own life. Together, all rest accordingly in a place of honor in Arlington National Cemetery, the JFK's gravesite, in quotes, at Arlington National Cemetery.